0: A reading from the first book of Kings. Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of the whole community of Israel, and stretching forth his hands toward heaven, he said, Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven, above or on earth below. You keep your covenant of mercy with your servants, who are faithful to you with their whole heart. Can it indeed be that God dwells on earth? If the heavens and the highest heavens cannot contain you, how much less this temple which I have built. Look kindly on the prayer and petition of your servant, O Lord, my God, and listen to the cry of supplication which I, your servant, Utter before you this day. May your eyes watch watch night and day over this temple, the place where you have decreed you shall be honored. May May you heed the prayer which I, your servant, offer in this place. Listen to the petitions of your servant and of your people, Israel, which they offer. In this place, listen from your heavenly dwelling and grant pardon.
1: Lexio Sancti Evangelii Secundum Marcum. When the Pharisees with some scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus, they observed that some of his disciples ate their meals with unclean, that is, unwashed hands. For the Pharisees, and in fact, all Jews, do not eat without carefully washing their hands, keeping the tradition of the elders. And on coming from the marketplace, they do not eat without purifying themselves. And there are many other things that they have traditionally observed, the purification of cups and jugs and kettles and beds. So the Pharisees and scribes questioned him, why do your disciples not follow the tradition of the elders, but instead eat a meal with unclean hands? He responded, well did Isaiah prophesy about you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines, human precepts. You disregard God's commandment, but cling to human tradition. He went on to say, how well you have set aside the commandment of God in order to uphold your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever curses father or mother shall die. Yet you say, if someone says to father or mother, any support you might have had from me is korban, meaning dedicated to God. You allow him to do nothing more for his father or mother. You nullify the word of God in favor of your tradition that you have handed on, and you do many such things. Verbum Domini You disregard God's commandment but cling to human tradition. This rebuke of the Pharisees and scribes has also at times been cited against Catholics, as we have a great reverence for sacred tradition. But it's important to note that Christ did not reject tradition in itself. Rather, he rejected merely human traditions that are not based on God's word, and that actually nullify or make void the word of God. By their merely human traditions, the Pharisees and scribes have emptied the law of its spirit and its authentic meaning, which should have been the authentic meaning and authentic interpretation and goal should have been to draw people closer to God This certainly is different from what we have always held from the beginning as apostolic tradition. St. Paul would say in his second letter to the Thessalonians, stand firm and hold fast to the traditions which you were taught either by an oral statement or by a letter of ours. And in our reading this past Sunday, just two days ago, St. Paul was referencing tradition in his first letter to the Corinthians. As he said very clearly, I handed on to you what I myself also received. That's what tradition is, it's a handing on, a passing on of what has been passed on from Christ and the apostles. Now, three gifts that have come to us from Christ our sacred scripture, sacred tradition, and the magisterium, which is the official teaching office of the church, and is charged by Christ with giving an authentic interpretation of the word of God. And as the the church firmly teaches, it's through tradition that the church in her doctrine, her life, and worship perpetuates and transmits to every generation, all that she herself is, all that she believes. And two very ordinary ways to know what is the content of sacred tradition, and we all have access to these, is the liturgy and the official catechisms of the church. Regarding the liturgy, the church only prays what she believes. The liturgy is the main way through which our faith is transmitted, the main vehicle by which we receive the content of our faith. This is why we do not change the liturgy on our own or start to get creative with it, because we may be tampering with the content of our faith. The words and the content of the prayers are very important. Words have meaning. They mean something. They reflect the truths that God has revealed to us. And by reflecting or meditating on these sacred truths, we seek to worship God with our lips and our hearts. We don't wanna be like the scribes and the Pharisees whom our Lord rebuked today, saying this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And second, We know the content of apostolic tradition from the official catechisms that have been given to us by the church throughout her history. They are summaries of the content of our faith as it's been passed down through the centuries from Christ and the apostles. Now, authentic apostolic tradition does not make void the word of God. It does not nullify the word of God, as our Lord rebuked again in the gospel today. Rather, it helps us to know more about Christ and helps us to come to a deeper relationship with him. So it's good for us to be able to distinguish between merely human traditions, as is referenced in the gospel today, and apostolic tradition, which we have always held as holy, and as a means of coming to know Christ better. And of course, sacred tradition will never contradict sacred scripture. In fact, the church teaches that both scripture and tradition, they flow from the same divine wellspring. They move toward the same goal. And each of them makes present and fruitful in the church the mystery of Christ, who promised to remain with us always. And I also want to mention today uh, one of the saints whom the church upholds and honors, Saint Josephine Bakhita. She was born in the Sudan in 1869, and she lived through the torture of being kidnapped and sold into slavery at the young age of nine. Her experience was so traumatic that she actually forgot her name. She forgot the name that her parents had given her at birth. She was called by her kidnappers, Bakita, which means fortunate. And she was often beaten brutally and at times left unconscious. And it was noted that she bore 144 scars throughout her life from the torture she endured. She was sold and resold in slave markets and was treated shamefully. At one point, she was bought by an Italian who treated her with more respect. And when he had to return to Italy, she also went. And it was in Italy where she came in contact with the Kenosian sisters and came to know about God, whom she said she had experienced in her heart without knowing who he was. Pope Benedict XVI wrote about St. Josephine in his encyclical on hope, Spes Salvi, and he described this new experience in her life this way. He said, She came to know that this Lord even knew her, that he had created her, that he actually loved her. She too was loved and by none other than the Supreme Master before whom all other masters are themselves no more than lowly servants. She was known and loved and she was awaited. What is more, this master had, ex- had himself accepted the destiny of being flogged and now he was waiting for her at the Father's right hand. Now she had hope, no longer simply the modest hope of finding masters who would be less cruel but the great hope. I am definitively loved and whatever happens to me, I am awaited by this love. And so my life is good. So Josephine would enter the catechumenate in Italy. And when she was baptized, that's when she was given the name Josephine. She came, she later was actually um, freed and was given her freedom. And she came to have such a great love for God and her faith that she was often seen kissing the baptismal font and saying, here, I became a daughter of God. And after she received her freedom, she pursued the call to religious life where she served the Lord wholeheartedly for 50 years. And she lovingly referred to him as the master. She was esteemed by her sisters and many others for her goodness and desire to make the Lord known. And the Lord permitted Josephine, as he did permit many of the saints to experience one final trial as they are approaching death. In her last agony on her deathbed, it's said that she almost was reliving her slavery earlier in life, and she was calling out to Our Lady to help her. And it's said that she died with a smile on her face. So it can be presumed that Our Lady did come to her to help escort her to the Lord, her son. I'll just conclude with the simple advice that St. Josephine would often give to others. She said, be good, love the Lord, pray for those who do not know him. What a great grace it is to know God.